Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Meaningful Learning with Dr. Samantha Cotrera podcast. Many of you know that I started this podcast as a way to share academic conference presentations, and I expanded this work in spring of 2020 in order to bring you the audio versions of the pandemic pedagogy conversations I've been hosting on my YouTube channel, Imagining a New We. For this upcoming school year, I'm going to be bringing you a second series that I'm hosting on YouTube called Source Saturday, where I talk with historians and creators and archivists about primary and secondary sources that they have familiarity with and to talk about what they read from them. Although the series does work better as a video because we screen share the sources we discuss it, there are many interesting elements of our conversation that do, that do work as a podcast, but I do urge you to check out the YouTube video so you can see the source for yourself. Like the Pandemic Pedagogy series, these podcast episodes are unedited conversations, so you may hear buffering or the repetition of a question or an answer if Zoom wasn't working that great, but the content remains fundamentally the same as the video. Enjoy this version of Source Saturday. In this video, I'm talking with Dr. Amy Shaw. Amy is the co-editor of this collection along with Dr. Sarah Glassford, and they also co-edited another book with UBC Press on women in World War I. Amy's background is actually in World War I history, specifically related to conscientious objectors, and she is a professor in history at the University of Lethbridge, which is really great to be able to bring that history background related to conscientious conscientious objectors to these collections on women in World War One and today as we're talking about in World War II. I'm really excited to be able to talk to Amy as a co-editor of this collection about the themes that her and Sarah wanted to be able to bring to a collection like this and what the collection as a whole can now contribute to understanding women in World War II. So let's go over to Zoom and talk to Amy. <laughs> Amy, I'm so excited to be able to talk with you. It looks so sunny there, and I think that's because of the time change. It looks like it's midnight here, but we're only a couple hours difference. Um, I'm so excited to be able to talk to you about this collection. I talked with a couple authors as oh, and author slash co-editor Sarah Glassford, and I just think it's a really, really valuable collection, and I'm so glad that we're able to talk about it. So thank you for doing this for me. Well, thanks so much for having me. I think it's going to be... Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Okay, sure. Um, my name's Amy Shaw, and I teach history at the University of Lethbridge. And um, I have a particular interest in thinking about sort of citizenship and uh, gender, especially in wartime. So I've done a little bit of work on uh, conscientious objection in the First World War. And um, with Sarah Glassford, uh, we've co-edited two collections now um, on Can uh, women and girls of Canada and Newfoundland uh, during the two world wars. So we've just finished our, our sequel uh, to the First <laughs> World War, um, and it's called A Terrible Price to Pay. Um, so we're really excited about that. Yeah, and I'm really excited that we're going to be able to talk about the collection as a whole because I know that you and Sarah wanted to do some different things with the scholarship in this book. You didn't just want to kind of say the the same things or the same narratives about women during um, World War II. You wanted to be able to kind of push the boundaries of how we understand women um, during this period. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, we weren't um, totally sure what we were going to do when we set out to do this. We wanted to see 
um, what work was being done out there. So we just sort of put out a call for papers and, um, and then looked at what we got. Um, and we've got some really interesting work. We ended up um, sort of grouping what we had into uh, four sections. Um, and so we've got um, uh, a section that's on uh, women, children in the war. So that's looking at um, sort of how young people experience the war. We've got the, the first chapter uh, looking at childhood um, in some of the sort of Atlantic port cities where, you know, you could look out and see battleships in the harbor and things like that, a place where the war was much more sort of physically present than in the rest of Canada. Um, a great article on um, these uh, friendships between um, British girls evacuated to Canada with Canadian girls. Um, an article on um, day nurseries, so um, putting together, um, you know, daycare, which doesn't really have a long history in Canada uh, during the Second World War. Um, and a great article that's um, uh, comparing uh, French and English um, school children in Quebec, uh, girls' school. So that's our first section. We've got a section on the war at home, which is looking at um, some of the things that we see happening on the home front. So there's one article looking at the experience of Canadian Jewish women, which is, um, I think you're speaking to the author of that. In one part yeah, of yeah, we do have a video with Jennifer and some oral history interviews and photographs she shared about Jew Canadian Jewish women. And that was a really great conversation. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so good because it's something that so little has been done on, surprisingly, really, considering sort of the resonance of the Second World War around that. Um, and then we've got a couple of chapters that are looking at um, consumption on the war front. Uh, Graham Broda and Joseph Tohill taking sort of different approaches to looking at this. And this was something that was really presented as one of women's key roles in the war. What you buy, how you run your home as being a home front, a front of the war. Um, we've got um, a chapter on women overseas uh, where it's not looking at women overseas in the military, but are looking more at sort of humanitarian work. So Sarah's got some of her work on the Red Cross, um, and we've got some work on um, uh, pacifists, on anti-war um, Mennonites uh, working overseas uh, to try to um, alleviate some of the suffering caused by the war. So um, these are great, because they're quite sort of unusual um, things that haven't been studied all that much before. And Sarah and I talked specifically about her chapter. So that is another uh, video people can watch. Yeah, it's so great that you have this series. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the last one looks at some of the areas that we do tend to know a little bit more about. I think when people think of the Second World War, they might think of uh, enlisted women um, or women in factories with the bandana and the overalls. Um, but, and nursing, maybe, but these are coming at them from quite different directions. So our chapter on nursing is looking at nursing at home um, in Labrador in this instance, where we have a shift coming from uh, where a hospital becomes run almost entirely by women and some of the, the shifts happening there. Um, we've got uh, looking at, yeah, the war dead, how they talk about death, because they 
often don't. Um, and again, thinking about danger and protection in factories. So I think we've got a lot of really um, interesting chapters in there. And I think it was just so much fun uh, editing it and putting them together and um, seeing all the connections uh, in this. And so many of these, you know, so often when we look at um, an edited book collection, or if not, like, I think about my undergrad when I got uh, book collections as part of undergrad courses. And then when I bought like a different version of the book five or 10 years later, so many of the articles seemed the same. Like there didn't seem like there was like, it seemed like it was more like rehashing the same arguments rather than coming up with new scholarship. But I really think a lot of these articles were, are bringing in new sources and new analysis because of that. Is, is that true? Is like, is that kind of feeling based on these titles accurate? I think so. That's what we were definitely trying to do. Um, and there, I don't know, should I talk about sort of what the state of World War II women's um, historiography has been and where we're trying to go with that maybe? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's really valuable because yeah. so often I find in classrooms because we know certain stories because we're, we're introduced to them mm -hmm. in our undergrad because we were introduced to them in high school and then in elementary school we get trapped in the same type of story and so mm -hmm. often we don't realize how that is a story that was created like a grand narrative that we can work our way out of not just like this natural story and so if you want to like make up, make clear, make apparent the story that we are often like trapped in, that might be a good way of positioning ourselves in this, in understanding this collection. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, good. Well, one of the things that's sort of interesting about um, the way we think about women in the Second World War is that there's kind of two stories. I think the image that many people have is this kind of Rosie the Riveter, we can do it, right? That we have all these sort of propaganda posters um, and it's really popular now. You can own on t-shirts and um, there's the Bomb Girls uh, TV show and there's, this, is, this is a sense that we have of the war. And from that, there's a certain sense of um, women showing their abilities and this kind of leading into maybe greater equality in the 60s and 70s. Um, Academics have often kind of challenged this though. Um, so we have a popular thread of history and then a thread where um, people in universities are saying, yes, it looks like that. The documents that we have, the propaganda posters and stuff make it look like that. But really the government didn't want there to be big changes. They wanted this to be just for now. Women are gonna step up and do some things maybe that they hadn't done before. But then after the war, they're supposed to go back in their home. And then we have, you know, the 50s where we have whatever, this stereotype of June Cleaver vacuuming in her pearls and her high heels, um, that this was meant to be kind of temporary. So we have these two kinds of threads here about whether this made big changes or whether this didn't make big changes. And that was one of the things that we had to kind of figure out how to deal with in this collection is this kind of, um, uh, controversy or stress or something and we decided that the thing to try to do is just sort of let women speak for themselves uh, just look at the documents and see what they said that if a woman said I had the time of my life um, we can't say to her no you're wrong you didn't this was actually bad for you long term um, and if a woman did have a hard time not to say no 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 you were all pulling together and and um, you know having a great time together um, so trying to sort of put that forward 
Um, because obviously women had thousands of different experiences of the war, right? There's a lot of different people here. If you're a, a Japanese woman interned, your experience of the war is very different from if you're, I don't know, a woman who enlisted in the Navy, or if you're a mother who's trying to uh, take care of her children at home in a time of rationing while grieving her brother who has died or something. Like there's so many different experiences of the war. So we are trying to let the document speak um, and um, uh, do that. I feel like I'm raging on too long. No, no, I'm I, like, it's so cool that you said that because when I spoke to Sarah and Jen about their chapters, they said very similar things. And I mean, you all worked on the collection together, but you certainly didn't rehearse us talking. <laughs> and like Jennifer was saying, you know, one of the things that, that, that was like behind her chapter was um, talking against a dominant view of uh, Jews during World War II, uh, women uh, who were Jewish during World War II, that like they weren't involved, that wasn't the case. And she was like, I want to speak back to that. And she did that specifically through oral history interviews, which I mean, how much more voice can you get from mm -hmm. women? And Sarah too was saying like, we don't look at these letters as these like important historical documents until we look at them as important historical documents. And we see that like, it may be like a banal discussion of our muff or our winter coat, we're actually seeing the performance and need for care and going back and forth. And like, when we are listening to what those women are saying, we can see some of those or we can hear some of those things. And so often, you know, women's voices are silenced in the archives because like those experiences weren't identified as being significant in the same way that men's experiences work kind of in this, you know, broad way. And so by allowing those women and the, the sources to be able to speak to what they're saying, of course that provides that nuance on the historical period, which is is such an important way for us to understand our own understandings of gender in in the present but also how gender operated in the past as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's very good there's often been a sense that the story of war is the story of soldiers who mm -hmm. are men who are away um and what i think we're finding out more now is that you know it's everywhere people at home are also having changed lives because of the war and it's worth looking at and it's very interesting and helps us understand society so much to look at that yeah mm -hmm. you know it's interesting because um for remembrance day i also talked to um a couple of historians that weren't part of this collection on um on other letter collections and i spoke mm -hmm. to stephen davies from the uh canadian letters and images project mm -hmm. and we had he he highlighted a, a letter and then the response letter from the soldier um, overseas and then his wife and you know Stephen was really highlighting like we can't think of them as distinct spaces because they are very much in tandem with each other and the other historian that I spoke to who was an American historian he was like I learned more about my grandmother through the letters mm -hmm. um, than I did about my grandfather because I got to meet my grandfather and I got to hear his war stories but to be able to read the letters and I 
love what you're saying about um, when we are focusing on women's experiences, then we realize that there isn't this hard distinction between soldiers fighting, women, home, you know, mm-hmm. like that it's um, a symbiotic relationship. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you didn't write um, a chapter, but you and Sarah obviously were thoughtful on the themes that you wanted to put together. And I, I know in talking with both of you, um, not for the, the series, um, but just talking about the collection generally, that you were really interested in like breaking that divide between Rosie the Riveter and like just at home and sad and to talk about other things like community and like girlhood and womanhood and Mm -hmm. the fact that like that was kind of a selling feature right for for some women to enlist in various ways so you provided um a really cool image i thought maybe we could just flip over and talk about um uh, as a as a source that somebody could use to talk about some of these themes in their own classroom Yes, well, we've got, um, we put uh, photographs sort of throughout the collection. Every chapter has a photograph and the introduction and the conclusion has a photograph because these are, these are great in terms of, you know, trying to get at other aspects of the story. And this is one that we considered using and we ended up sort of not quite having enough space for it. But I really like it um, for lots of reasons. Um, one of the things that I really like about it is how it's, posed um, to tell a certain story, I think, that this is aiming at, um, you know, parents partly and and the uh, girls themselves to say this, joining the, um, in this case, they're in the Royal Naval Service, joining the Navy isn't too strange and too different and too dangerous. These people are not going to go off and get shot and they're not, um, as was maybe more of a worry, going to be out there all close with potentially lascivious enlisted men. It's not going to be dangerous for them that way. Look, um, this is just like things that you are familiar with. This is like camp or boarding school or um, university dormitories or something like that. This is, this is safe and familiar. Um, and that's part of what I really like about it. Um, and I also really like the fact that they're... Um, having a good time all together Um, and it is posed but it also fits with this other theme that we found in the collection where so many people were writing about how even though it was wartime they had fun a lot of them Um, and part of this seems to be about community community is this Mm. theme runs throughout the collection Um, and it's Uh, very important to many people's memories of the war, the fact that they were together with uh, what would become friends. Um, And this crosses all sorts of boundaries. This is for people, you know, young people enlisting. This is for, you know, people in their neighborhoods. This is um, all over. Um, And I think it's really, um, really a a valuable kind of theme in the collection. one of the um, sources that we use um, writes about how this comes out of the depression, that she'd been growing up in the depression and she hadn't really had an opportunity to be doing things with lots of young people her age before. There was no money for, I don't know, sports or music. Radios or coats. Yeah, exactly. So this, what really stood out for her was that she was away from home and with other people her age. And that was different and new and kind of wonderful. So we have this camaraderie that we think of 
with men in war, but was definitely mm. a big part of women's experience too. Yeah, you know, when when we think or when I think of women in World War II, I have very specific images and these young women aren't a part of that. And what's interesting is that it helps challenge these ideas that I have, the fact that they're younger, the fact that it does very much very much look like a dormitory, but it also is the the posing of it also challenges what I normally think that some of this camaraderie was created so that the camaraderie could happen, <laughs> you yeah, know, like yeah. <laughs> that, you know, and um, that's a really kind of special place because women's friendships, I, I don't know, I was watching something the other day. I don't feel like the trope of like women competing over men is quite as prominent as it was even like 10 mm -hmm. years ago, but it's still there. Yeah. And um, we don't often see examples of female friendships, especially in the past. And it's nice to be able to think that there are these spaces mm -hmm. where we can understand women in community in different ways than, than, than we often are kind of um, presented with. Yeah, I think that's really key. Women's friendships, women's relationships are a hugely important theme uh, in the collection and in, you know, yes, wider. Mm -hmm. So how do you think, I had to take my glasses off because the glare was bugging me, but now I can see you. How do you think that your collection and the ways that you want to center women's voices and center themes of community and women and girls in Canada and Newfoundland, how do you think that the book as a whole can challenge the way we normally understand this period in Canadian history? Um, I think there's a sort of a lot of possible things there. Um, one of the things that it sort of um, was maybe not brand new for me, but, but it sort of highlighted for me is we tend to think of the Second World War as kind of separate, that there's all these sort of distinct periods in Canadian history. And what I call them historic spaces. Okay, historic spaces. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things that seemed really key in this was the way it all obviously would, but we don't think of it that way, bleeds into each other. That the Second World War is all about the Depression and all about the First World War while it's going on. And then the war ends, but it doesn't really end for everybody. The people overseas doing humanitarian work are doing more work. Um, there's still shortages at home and things like that. Um, there still takes time for um, internment to adjust. Uh, there's all these things where it bleeds into the Cold War. Um, and so I think that's part of one of the things to think about here is to note this continuity and how these threads move um, within these spaces, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's really Great, because I mean, one of the purposes of this series is to help us challenge historic spaces, because in my experience in working with in a museum as a historical interpreter, so in costume, I saw that people were just understanding these encapsulated simplistic time periods. And they were like certain symbols and guides and landmarks in those spaces, but there was no kind of robustness and there was no complexity. Mm -hmm. And I think that that simplicity is taken into our classrooms because that's how people understand the past. Not, not, it's not necessarily the fault of the educator. Mm -hmm. And what has been really great about this series is that 
Like when you were talking about the war was also at home, I think of my conversation with Rebecca Bozrart, which was the first Source Saturday Day video that I did on a War Breads 1918 cookbook. And then talking about Jewish women in World War II, I think about the second video I did with Andrea Eidinger about a 1950s Jewish women's cookbook. Mm-hmm. And then I think about a letter um, of protest from someone who was interned, a Japanese Canadian person who was interned uh, and then like writing the government. And I think about all these connections between the different videos, the different conversations that obviously were not planned, but that really helps demonstrate that complexity and that, that the ways that that things build on each other in time as we like know when we're in the present, but when we look back, we often, that's not often the case. And so Mm -hmm. thank you for bringing that to the conversation. I think it's a really nice way to end. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for this. Um, How can people get the book? I mean, they probably saw some ordering information on the website, but um, the paperback is now out. Right. Yeah, the paperback is out. It's published by uh, University of British Columbia Press, so you could get it through them. But I think it's also sort of um, out there generally. I know everything's kind of online now, but sort of all your places where you would normally get your online books, maybe a little bit more of a shout out to the smaller uh, bookstores rather than just Amazon and stuff, but it is on Amazon and chapters and stuff like that. So yes, it's, it's out there. Yeah. And I mean, the hardcover isn't really designed for us. It's designed for libraries, but having the paperback is really great. And then there's two different e-publication options, which is also really great. Yeah. Uh, My book is also out with UBC Press. So I spend a lot of time on this website (laughs) and uh, I love giving them some, giving them some love. The, I did a video series on the suffrage book series and that was with UBC Press too. It has just been a coincidence. <laughs> All of the <laughs> academic books are UBC Press, but they do such great work. Mm-hmm. They yeah. really do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank you, Amy. This was so wonderful. I hope people uh, get your book. Although that just reminded me, I did notice that um, it said free shipping on orders over $40. And so you can get this book and my book. Yes. And you've definitely hit 40 <laughs> and then you're supporting the publisher and you can be like, oh, we saw it on the video series. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you for this. I look forward to talking with you about your next book collection. I'm sure you're just like, okay, let's, let's figure out the next war. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, thank you again and have a great night. Thank you. You too. It's been great. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. 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 <phone rings>